Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our Bible study series we began last week on the life of Peter, calling it the life of Peter from fisherman to follower of Jesus. And um, last week we looked at Peter's first meeting, um, first time he met Jesus. Andrew had come to know Jesus a little bit and said, Peter, you've got to come meet this guy. He's the Messiah. So Andrew introduced his brother to Jesus. And if you missed that, you can listen to it online. Tonight we're going to follow that up. The title of our uh, of our lesson is Following the Master's Call. Following the Master's Call. First of all, before we jump in these texts, let me just ask you, and we don't have time to take the full story for everybody, but did meeting Jesus make a change in your life? Yes. Yeah, how? How were you different after than you were before? What kind of changes were there? Lisa? Things you used to do, you didn't do no more. Okay. Probably the opposite too. Things you didn't do, started to do. Okay. I think it's pretty obvious. Things that we maybe discovered that were not pleasing to God. It's like, that's got to go. Uh, things that were pleasing to God that we were involved in. Well, that's got to start. All right. Any other differences that were pretty significant in your life that changed? Amanda. You realized what? Okay, you realized the purpose of living. That's significant. You know, you go through life, it's like, why am I here? You know, and you realize your purpose. Great. Any other thoughts about changes? Chris? Okay. Convinced of the reality of God and of the devil. All right. Of an enemy that we have. Any other thoughts about changes that took place? Okay. Was... Whatever changes took place, were they instantaneous? No, maybe some were, but not all, right? Okay, so it wasn't like, boom, you're somebody else, and now you've just kind of... St- Has there been more changes since then? Yeah, yeah. See, a relationship with Jesus, I know we know this stuff, but it's just like a relationship with anybody else. It grows, or it should be growing. You know, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Paul talked a lot about part of his ministry, you know, great passion to reach the lost, especially the Gentiles for Jesus, but then to help them grow, you know, grow. And um, Paul wrote about in Corinthians, he got the writer of the book of Hebrews talked about how we start out like children and then we grow up to maturity and we should be able to handle, you know, more significant truth and and uh, have an impact on our life. Okay. You know, I think of it, uh, like I said, in, in the context of a, a, a regular personal relationship. I think of, you know, when I first met my wife, just kind of a chance meeting, not really a chance. God's in control of all. Bible college campus sitting on a fence with some friends, and she came by with a mutual friend, got introduced, and, you know, started talking, started dating, you know, broke up. That's a whole story. Tell you about that another time. Just say that I didn't do the breaking up. But anyway, got back together and uh, got went steady, got married, made that commitment. And even since then, a lot more 
uh, understanding, learning about each other, growing closer, even deeper commitment that has happened. It's, it's just a growing thing. And it's the same thing, or should be the same thing with our relationship with God. Um, we get to know Jesus. We make commitments. We deepen those commitments. We continue to grow. And so we're going to be seeing that as we study the life of Simon Peter. And here we're at the beginning. You know, he, he meets Jesus, then he goes back home. He's fishing again. And um, we're going to look today at the time when Jesus called him, along with his brother and his friends, James and John, um, to follow him. And this was a process. Um, after he met Jesus, he went back to fishing. And depending on how the order of events went, and there is some leeway in there by different Bible scholars have different thoughts and opinions here. It seems like he had encounters with Jesus, then he went back to fishing, had some other encounters with Jesus, went back to fishing because Jesus had not yet called him to a permanent following him. Um, we know that that happened for sure when we look at Luke because um, we see that Peter goes to the synagogue with Jesus, and Jesus preaches, and Jesus goes back to Simon Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law, you know. And the next thing we see, Peter's fishing again. Now, that doesn't mean that Peter said, I'll go with you, then he changed his mind. It's just, it was a process. It was a process. But there came a time when Jesus issued the call, and it was time to say, okay, well, just to keep with the picture, it's time to fish or cut bait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, and, and that's what happened. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 1, first of all, and then we'll look at Luke 5. Mark 1, verses 16 to 20, a very brief story of Jesus reaching out to Peter in particular, but also Andrew, James, and John. Mark 1, 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. All right. Now let's jump over to Luke chapter 5. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But about half the people that I really trust in studying the Bible believe that Luke's story here is a retelling, or not a retelling, but a, a, the same event that Mark's talking about, just gives more detail. And the other half says, no, this is actually a separate event, a second time when Jesus issued the call. And the reason why they think it may be a second one is there is some there are some similarities, but there's quite a few major differences between the two stories. The point is that... That's not what's really important. The important thing is, once again, Jesus issues the call and they respond. So let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. 
they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here we have two stories, whether it's the same event or two different events, and Jesus issues a call to follow him. And the thing we've got to realize is that Jesus issues the same call to us today. Okay, may not involve fishing, may not involve totally and completely leaving everything we're already involved in behind, although it could. I mean, that's the kind of call that missionaries get and some other people that are involved in life. And God says, I've got a whole different path for you. And he calls them and they go off on another path. Many times, probably most times, the call of Jesus is to make commitment. We're going to talk about commitment tonight, the commitments they made here. Um, and it's in the life we already have. And it brings about change. There may be, like Lisa said, some things that we leave behind. There may be things that we add to. But it's all about what are we going to do in the life that we have now to follow Jesus and wherever he might lead. Okay, So following the master's call requires commitment. What do we need to commit to? What does Jesus call us to commit to? Commit to believing in him? Yeah, that's certainly uh, important. How can we be committed to him if we don't believe in him? What else would he call us to commit to? Bruce? Leave our old self behind. What? The old stuff, like Lisa's on the stuff that needs to be left behind, right? Yeah. Uh, as I say many times when I talk about the gospel, you know, our problem is sin. And if we're asking God to deliver us from our sin, to forgive us of our sin, then we need to leave our sin behind. Why would we keep clinging to the thing that caused the problem to begin with? You know? Chris, did you have one? What Jesus would call us to commit to? Yeah, Jesus spoke that often, to pick up our cross daily and to deny ourselves. So should we all be like, I think it's Arthur Blessed, and build a big cross and carry it around wherever we go as a testimony? Well, if God tells us to. But no, it's talking about being willing to put up with whatever it takes, being a Christian, and to say no to ourselves and yes to him to do what he calls us to do. Lynn. Call us to commit to follow him. Of course, that raises the question, what does it mean to follow him? For the disciples, that was literal. <laughs> there he was. Where he went, they went. Um, same commitment today. Yeah, it's just a little bit different. We have to discern where he is leading us, and it's not a physical thing. I mean, it, it has physical manifestations, but it's not like he's physically going somewhere and we're following him physically. But it's, got, it's like, Jesus, where are you going in my life, and how can I follow you? It's a very personal, um, individual thing. Although there's great principles in God's word about how to do that. Yeah. Well, let's take a look. I got three things that I drew from this story anyway. And the first one is committed to Jesus. You see, first of all, we need to be committed to Jesus himself. All right. Um, Jesus called them to follow him. He says, come follow me. Mark 1, 17 says, come follow me. In Luke 5, he says, come follow me. He didn't say, commit yourself to my philosophy you know, I got a whole bunch of set of rules I want you to live by. Now God has principles, commands that we're to live by, but initially it's following Jesus. Okay? Being in relationship with Him, not just committing to a way of thinking. Not just committing to, okay, I'm going to change my life, so here's a bunch of do's and don'ts I'm going to start doing or don'ting. 
It's not proper, but it sounds good. You know, some kind of program of action, you know, but it's committed to Jesus. You know, Jesus calls us to, and he wants us to have a relationship with him above all else. You know, all the other stuff that comes along, all the things we just mentioned, you know, making sure we're doing the right stuff, not doing the wrong stuff, and, and doing what he wants us to do, all that stuff is easier, and it makes more sense once we know him and are in relationship with him and are following him. Okay? Relationship. You know, not just attending church, not just going through the motions of a religious life. And as we study Peter's life, um, we're going to see how that relationship changes and it grows and it deepens. You know, last week we saw how he was introduced to Jesus and Jesus said, hey, your name's Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. You know, we don't know for sure how that impacted him and how much he thought about it and all that kind of stuff. And this story um, in Luke chapter 5, you know, Jesus asked to borrow his boat. He says, sure. You know, he calls him master, which is a term of respect. All right. A little bit later in the story, he calls him Lord. And again, the Bible scholars are divided about whether Peter already recognizes Jesus as God himself or just as using it as a title of respect that's higher than master because it was used both ways at that time. But we see a, a, a growth in that relationship. And it's about the relationship. Uh, his relationship changes, it evolves, it deepens, and it grows. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. How serious of a commitment does Jesus call for? How serious? A hundred percent. It's very serious, right? It's total. Yeah. Um, it's a much like marriage, right? Yeah, be all in. There you go. It's total commitment give you three examples here from this story. The first one is commitment above occupation. Commitment above occupation. What was Peter's occupation? He was a fisherman, right? And Jesus called him from that occupation to a similar one, spiritually speaking. He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, right? But he called him to leave his business. Now, in that, I've shared this before, you may or may not remember it, you know, in that day and age and culture, society was basically mostly made up of poor people and rich people. There really wasn't much of a middle class. But what little middle class there was, fishermen fell into that. They were a whole lot better off than the people that were the lowest. Um, they weren't quite rich. So when Jesus called Peter to leave his fishing business, I mean, this is a business. It's probably a family-owned business. He's in it with his brother. They're co with James and John and their father, Zebedee, um, probably doing pretty well. And Jesus asked him to leave it behind. Okay? He says, leave it behind. Better than average income. Now, how does that apply to us today? Does that mean that as soon as we commit our lives to Christ, we need to quit whatever job we have and go do something else? No. I mean, not unless God tells us to, like we said, missionaries or, or he's just going to give us a big U-turn. So how does that manifest itself by staying in the occupation we have? Does it change at all? Lori, you're shaking your head. You got to. I'm, I'm all right. Since we're changing as a result of our relationship with Jesus within our occupation, we may do it differently. If there are certain things that we were doing that would be pleasing to God, we're going to start doing them. All right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Any other changes you can think of in your occupation that may take place because you've committed it after Christ, even if the occupation doesn't change? Okay. So wherever we're at, including our occupation, we are now on the mission field. 
and God, Jesus, calls us to be a light there. We're not just there to earn money. We are there to earn money, and the Bible has other principles about being the best worker you can be. That's one of the changes you were talking about. If you, you know, if you weren't always the best worker, God says, okay, now you can live it, you know. I think we also change who we're working for, don't we? Paul talks about that. You know, before we were working for our boss. Still working for our boss, but ultimately we're working for Jesus. And we're doing what we're doing for him and to give him glory, not just to make the money. So there are times God may speak to us about changing what we're doing, but other times he wants us to change in the midst of what we're doing and to live out whatever that means according to what his word says and what he ever, whatever he speaks to us personally. So we have commitment above occupation, you know, and this is really important because sometimes people, I'm sure you'd never do this, compartmentalize their lives. I'm going to follow Jesus, so I got my spiritual thing. So I have my devotions I do at home sometime, and then I go to church, and I'm involved with a men's group relationship. But then school or my job or whatever, that's the other part of my life. And until people grow to maturity, sometimes they don't allow their relationship with Jesus to affect their occupation. Uh, and we it should affect everything, right? Second commitment, let her be there, commitment above material things. Commitment above material things. They left their nets and their boats. Now, something to think of. We don't know this for sure. But because Peter and Andrew had had contact with Jesus at least once, maybe twice, well, at least twice, because in Luke, um, as I said, before this story, Jesus is going to Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law. So they've had a relationship, all right? And so there's a very good chance that Peter's family knew about Jesus, not just Peter and Andrew. Very good chance that James and John's family knew Jesus. And so when they just up and left everything, it's not like they just left it on the shore for somebody to take. They left it with the other workers. They probably left it with Zebedee because Zebedee didn't follow Jesus. Jesus didn't call him to, okay? And I would like to believe, so this is just speculation. It's not in the Bible, that Zebedee said, James and John, you're going to be better off following Jesus. I'll take care of the business. You go ahead and go. I'd love to think that that's the way what Zebedee's um, attitude was. We do know that Zebedee's wife, James and John's mother, traveled with Jesus and the disciples for a while too, which would seem to indicate, especially in their culture, where husbands had a lot to say about what wives did, that Zebedee was all for it. I mean, he even let his wife go off for a while and travel with Jesus. So, um, But anyway, James, John, Peter, Andrew, they had to make a choice. And they said, you know what? We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to leave this lucrative, not rich, but good lifestyle behind. We're going to leave these material possessions behind. And keep in mind, in this story, they've probably had the best catch of fish they've ever had in their life. Now we think, oh, leaving a mess of fish on the beach. Big deal. You know, Zebedee can trade it in. No, we're talking about like, hey, somebody just dropped $5,000 in front of you and you're going to walk away from it to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to say that's how much the fish were worth. I don't know. I'm just saying... You know, it's like, if we had time to take this to market, what about, just leave it all behind because Jesus called us. So it's commitment above material things. I like this quote from the Tyndale New Testament commentary. It says, they left the greatest catch they had seen in all their lives. That catch was not as important as what it showed them about Jesus, so they followed him. They became disciples in the fullest sense. Yeah, Lynn. It's a good question. What was the motivating factor? Obviously, whatever they sensed about Jesus, to whatever degree they knew who he was, I mean, whether they had an inkling that he was, I mean, Andrew told Peter, I think he's the Messiah. 
You know, everybody's waiting for the Messiah. Whether they even had an inkling he might be God, uh, I think it's a little early for that, but it could be. You know, or whether it's just, this is just, you know, following Jesus is much more important than anything else I've been doing. Oh, definitely. God's working in their heart. Yeah, sure. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, I, I kind of took that as a given. Shouldn't have. Yeah, but God was obviously working in their hearts. You know, we can see a contrast with a story that you may be familiar with, the rich young ruler. Uh, and you can read that later. I've got it on your note sheet there. His story is found in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18, which indicates it's a pretty important story if three of the Gospels have it. But this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to be right with God, basically? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? He says, well, keep the commandments, blah, 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 blah. And he says, which, which command? He says, I've, and Jesus said, well, do it. You know, cause he's, he's trying to get to the root of what this guy's issue might be. And the guy says, well, I've kept these commandments ever since I was a child. And, and one of the gospels said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think he saw something in him and that Jesus legitimately wanted him to become one of his followers. He says, okay, then leave it all behind, sell it, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says the rich man, left sad because he had a lot of money. In other words, he wasn't willing to do what we see in the story that Peter, James, and John, and Andrew did. And it also obviously revealed what he hadn't done. He he was full of covetousness, perhaps, or greed, or, you know, all those other things that were also part of God's law, too. Yeah, Laurie. That's a good thought. Yeah, that big catch could help take care of their families. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. We don't know how well the rich young ruler knew Jesus, whereas these guys had an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so how do we apply this today? If God, Jesus, calls us to a commitment above material things, how should that impact us in our dealing with material things? Mm-hmm. So, very true. So, realizing that everything we have has been given to us by God. Yes, we may have worked hard for the money, <laughs> as that quote goes. Okay, but it's because God gave us the strength and allowed us to have the job, and it's a gift from Him. And whereas before, our material things were ours to do with as we pleased. Our money was ours to spend on whatever we wanted. Now it's like, you know what? God gave this to me, and I belong to Him. It belongs to Him. So it's the whole area of stewardship. Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? You know, and again, that's a very individual thing. There are principles in God's word about how we should use our money, how we shouldn't, about um, using it to help people in need and doing the work of the ministry and giving back to the ministry, all that. But but he gives us a lot of leeway, a lot of leeway, um, uh, even, even in the midst of the principles there. But that the idea is, is that, okay, I'm not just going to use... And not just our money, but our possessions, our vehicle, our house, you know, whatever. It belongs to God. So as Lynn said, Jesus first priority now. So material possessions is less. And so if Jesus says, hey, you need to use your car to do this. You need to use your house to do that. You need to, you know, give to this need, to this cause or whatever. Or, you know, you have two cars. It's nice to have two cars, but God might say, give one of them to somebody else that doesn't have any. Or the only one they had broke down and can't be fixed. You know, I mean, just that openness. So commitment above material things. And then the third one, let her see there, commitment above family. 
For some people, this may not be as hard. For others, it's extremely hard. Commitment above family. We see Peter and Andrew leave their family. We don't see much about their family in here. Um, We see James and John leaving the family business, leaving their father behind. As I said, their mother kind of traveled with them from time to time. Does that mean that our family is no longer important to us? Well, isn't that what Jesus said, though? Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, doesn't Jesus say that if we're going to follow him, we should dislike or hate our parents and our family? Here we go, real quiet. (laughs) Is what we would immediately think? Does the word hate there immediately? Yeah, I mean, it sounds if you take it literally, but that's not what Jesus meant. And there's other examples in Scripture that it's a, a way of phrasing it to make it sound, to, 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 to bring across the point that you need to love me so much that compared to it, your love for your family is not near as much. It almost looks like they hate, you know what I'm saying? And I've used this illustration before, so maybe you've heard me do it. It's been a long while, but I remember when I got married to my wife, and our wedding was in Georgia, and my family was in Ohio, and they traveled what is now a 13-hour drive. Back then, you had to go 55 if you obeyed the law. So anyway, they traveled all the way from Ohio down to Georgia for our wedding. They got there on Saturday in time for the rehearsal, and then church Sunday morning, and then we had the wedding. And uh, immediately after the wedding and the, re- and the reception... Jan and I took off. It's like, man, my my parents and my family, I think it was 12, 13 members of my family, maybe not quite that many. But anyway, van full. They all came down. Didn't I love them enough that I wanted to spend time with them? <laughs> yeah, I loved them, but I love my new wife. <laughs> you know, we're going to go off and have our one-night honeymoon staying at the Holiday Inn Express and go to the zoo the next day where the monkey had died. But anyway, we had a good time. <laughs> That really is true about our honeymoon. We spent one night away, and we did go to the zoo, and the monkey had died. But anyway, (laughs) there were a couple other animals. Um, (laughs) But anyway, no, I love my family. But my wife became the first priority as far as family is concerned. And that's what Jesus is saying here, okay? That Jesus takes priority. It goes back to priority, like Lynn said, over family. We love our families. But Jesus comes first, okay? (laughs) So the question we have to ask ourselves uh, as we get ready to go on to the second part is have we totally committed ourselves to Jesus Christ? Not just in words. I say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but mm, he's not quite as important as my possessions, my money, whatever. And he's not quite as important as my family. They take kind of priority over that. No, is Jesus first. Is Jesus first. Yeah. Second commitment, you know, not only committed to Jesus himself, but committed to obedience. Committed to obedience. What's the what's the um, relationship between being committed to Jesus and committing to obedience? What kind of what, what what's the relationship there? Are they related? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, Jesus said, and other teaching from his disciples said, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments, right? You know, I keep using the same illustration through here, but, you know, marriage, being committed to my wife, doesn't mean she has to obey me or I have to obey her, but I have a desire to please her. That's the way it should be anyway. And she has the desire to please me. 
And in the same way, if we are truly committed to Jesus, then we will have a desire. And when we don't have a desire, we'll do it anyway. Want to please him. Okay, that's what a healthy relationship is. And so we see in the story that Peter obeyed Jesus. But it was based on relationship, not just rules and regulations, right? He let Jesus use the boat. Um, when Jesus asked him to put out and catch the fish, which we'll look at in more detail in just a minute, he did. When Jesus said, come on, follow me, he left everything behind. So he was committed to obedience. And when you look at the whole rest of his life, he wasn't perfect. He messed up. But the whole trend of his life was to do what Jesus wanted him to do. Whatever the cost was, and it led to his crucifixion. Tradition tells us that he was crucified just like Jesus, but he says, you know what? I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. And so they end up crucifying upside down, which to me I think would be worse. But anyway, that's what church tradition says, okay? So he wasn't perfect, but he really tried. But let's look at this one aspect here. I want to draw some principles from this, this uh, time that Jesus asked him, you know, when he got done teaching to, hey, go out and go fishing. Uh, look at verse 4 of Luke 5. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled their partners and the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Okay. Now look at this from Peter's situation. Peter is a fisherman. He's been doing this very possibly his entire life. If it was a family business like it was for James and John, I mean, from the time he was big enough to get in a boat with his dad, he probably went out, learned how to fish. He knew what he was doing. Uh, fishermen would go out. Sometimes they'd catch a lot of fish. Sometimes they wouldn't. You know, like a lot of other businesses, you when you do well, you put some aside for when you don't do so well. They would fish at night because in the Sea of Galilee... Uh, during the daytime, the sun on the water, it would get too hot. The fish would go deeper. But at night, they would come up to the top. It was cooler. They'd come up to feed. So they would fish at nighttime. And they have already fished at the most opportune time, the most optimum time for fishing. And it was just not a good night. They didn't catch anything. Now they've come back in, and they're cleaning their nets. And what that means is, you know, stuff gets stuck in the nets. Sometimes they get torn you know, and you've got to clean all the junk out, and that could be difficult if it got all tangled up in it, you know, and if it got torn, you had to mend it. And they'd already gotten done done with that, so it's all ready for the next night's fishing. They're tired. They've been up all night long. And Jesus says, go out and do some fishing. How do you think Peter probably felt? I mean, it comes to a little, he says, well, Master, we've already fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Can you imagine, hey, Jesus, you know, you're, you've been a carpenter all your life. I've been a fisherman all my life. I, I know how to fish, you know. I could imagine maybe a little frustration. Maybe like, ah, why are you asking me to do this? Yeah. Yeah, he exhibited faith, didn't he? Yeah. Obedience, commitment, yeah, and faith. Now, it may not have been a perfect faith. In fact, from what Peter says, it's almost like, I don't think anything's going to happen, but you want me to do it, I'll do it. But that shows how much uh, respect he already has for Jesus, how much trust he has in him, maybe even how much love he has for him. It's like, I don't know how much difference this is going to make, but if he says to do it, it's going to be a lot of work. i got to clean the nets again, and I'm tired. But you know what? He said, 
he, he wants to do it. It's sort of like a pastor telling a CEO how to run his business. You know, uh, not quite though, because the pastor's not Jesus, and Jesus is Jesus. But anyway, there's kind of a grudging obedience if it'll make you happy. But then he's totally amazed by what happens. And there's a couple of points here. Um, I've got something on your note sheet. I read this in the Tyndale New Testament commentary. I thought, man, that is good. Peter might not agree, but he could obey. There's a principle for life. As you're going through life and you're reading God's word and God's speaking to us like, God, I don't know. God, I don't like that. God, I think it'd be better if. God, I think I'm the exception. But you know what? I may not like it. I may not agree with it. I may not understand it. But I'm going to do what you say. God, I'm not sure if what you say I should do in my marriage or my finances or my sexuality is going to work. But you said it. So I'm going to obey anyway. Norris. Yes. For the purpose of the recording, a great example of how we might need to, one area we need to apply that is when Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. It's like, that doesn't work. That's not the way we're worse. But you know what? Jesus said to do it. We're going to do it. And we'll be surprised at what God can do in and through that. So, yeah. And can I tell you, I think it takes more faith to do something that God asks us to do that we're not sure whether it's going to work or not, we don't like it or whatever, than it does if we totally agree with God. Because if we totally agree with God, it takes no faith to do it, right? Yeah. So, great faith. Okay? At least for that point in... in, in um in uh, Peter's life. So in our situation, as I said earlier, we have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize our lives. You know, Jesus for, is for church and maybe devotions and other spiritual things, unless we got a problem. But then, you know what? Everything else I'm going to handle on my own. But you know what? Jesus knows more about your business than you do. Jesus knows more about your family. Jesus knows more about your finances. Jesus knows more about your sexuality. Jesus knows more about all that stuff than you do. Believe it or not. Yes, Junan. Mm-hmm. That's right. On your note sheet, I got four quick principles to draw from this, this idea of commitment to obedience. Letter A, yield to Jesus. Seek his plan for every area of your life. Not just church, not just spiritual things, whatever, but seek Jesus and seek his will, his plans, his purpose, his principles for your finances, for your marriage, for your other relationships, for your job, for whatever you're involved in. Yield to him. And when he tells you something, he really does know better than you do. Okay? Letter B. When Jesus asks you to do something, don't make excuses. Just do it. That's for all of us. We're all good at making excuses, aren't we? When Jesus asks you to do something, don't make excuses. Just do it. And letter C. Reluctant obedience is better than disobedience. Reluctant obedience is better than disobedience. And then letter D, and this is what June Ann was saying, and Nora said too, I think, obedience brings God's blessing. Now, it may not show up right away. He may ask you to do something specifically personal or something in his word. I don't know if that's going to work. You do it and things go backwards financially, relationship or whatever. You know, I, in my devotions, um, the last couple of days I've been reading the beginning of Exodus when God sends Moses uh, to deliver his people out of Egypt, and he goes and he gives Pharaoh that message. And Pharaoh makes things worse. And the people are upset. They said, they were all excited when Moses showed up and said, God's going to deliver you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden, they're being beaten more. They're having to make bricks, and they have to draw, gather their own straw before it was... And, the, and here's the principle in God's word. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. 
and God has a purpose in all that. We're not going to dig into that. But the thing is, is that ultimately obedience brings God's blessing. Okay, not always the way we want, not always the way we think. You know, it's like, well, if I'm obedient with my finances, I'm going to get rich. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But obedience always brings blessings. So the third commitment then, after a commitment to Jesus himself and then commitment to obedience, is commitment to his plan. Commitment to Jesus' plan. In other words, we are going to be committed to what's important to him. So what is important to Jesus? What was his plan? In this story, what is Jesus asking them to commit to? What about Jesus' plan? What? Following him. Yes, that's the first step, but he's got a plan. He's got something he wants them to do. Be fishers of men. He wants them to reach the lost. Okay. There's lots of things that God wants us to do in our lives and all that kind of stuff, but what it really comes down to is reaching other people for Jesus and helping them grow in the midst of the process of us growing too. Okay? So, he says, we need to reach the lost. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He says, literally, he says, um, let me find it here. Um, From now on, you will be catching men. And the word that is used there is catching them alive. It's like not like catch them to kill them and eat them. No, catch them alive. It's it's interesting that that's the word that's used there. Okay. Um, You know, Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All through all the Gospels, um, including Luke, you see that emphasis. In Luke is where Jesus tells the parable, uh, the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and needing to find them and the, the rejoicing that goes on in heaven. You know, the whole purpose of Jesus coming, you know, was not just to get these disciples and teach them and be a good example, a good teacher, but to die so that lost people could be saved. And so he calls them to be fishers of men, all right? Uh, Andrew's already done that. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. We looked at that last week. And as we look further into Peter's life, and many of you are already familiar with a lot of details of Peter's life, we see he became a great fisher of men. He was the one God used on the day of Pentecost to get up and preach. 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ and were baptized. You go through Acts, you see more and more where he's preaching, he's traveling, God's using him to heal people, and and people are coming to Christ. Um, After the healing of the lame man... Um, he has a chance to give testimony to the religious leaders. They weren't very receptive, but he's working on fishing. You know, in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, God uses him to open the door for the first time to the Gentiles in many, many, many other times. And Jesus doesn't just want Peter to do that. He wants all his disciples to do that, including us. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, a passage I'm sure you're familiar with. Jesus told his disciples then, and I believe he tells us now, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I believe that he issues that same call to us. It may mean we need to leave our occupation. He does call some people, but sometimes he wants to use us right there in our occupation, in where we live. Uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, when he says, go and make disciples, I think the sense there is, as you are going. In fact, literally, it says, going, make disciples. Okay? Um, that's the way it's worded in the Greek. The last thing I have in your note sheet, and then we have a little bit more before we wrap it up. I got this quote from somewhere. I don't remember where. Somebody asked somebody else, are you following Jesus? If you're not fishing, you're not following. 
because he calls us to follow him to fish. Now, as I said on Sunday, that doesn't mean that everybody's called to be an evangelist that stands behind a pulpit or on a street corner. Sometimes he uses people to do that. doesn't mean that every single person is called to evangelize the same way. But in our world, as God leads us, we should be fishing some way or shape. Okay, so if you're not fishing, you're not really following. Okay, I like this. It says sometimes we spend more time talking about fishing than fishing. We spend more time praying about fishing than fishing. Talking and praying are important, but if we don't actually fish, the time we spend talking and praying is wasted. Okay? Um, one more thing I want to look at before we wrap this up. If you go down to verse 8, Peter's response after this great catch. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, Peter had, like most of us, has pride, okay? But he is humbled. This reminds me of when Isaiah saw the Lord in his temple. There's a place where I think it was Jeremiah had a vision, and he was totally humbled before God. You know, Peter is humbled for his unbelief, his sinful. Basically, he said, I'm not worthy. And he thinks that because he's not worthy... Of being with Jesus, because Jesus is obviously, at the minimum, somebody tremendously empowered by God and a great man. He thinks that makes him unworthy to be with Jesus. And really what this story illustrates is because Peter was willing to recognize that, that's what made him worthy to be with Jesus. I like the way the InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary put it. It says this, Simon, for his part, knows that he is a sinner who is not worthy to experience the benefits of God's power and presence. There is no presumption that God owes him anything. Jesus, exemplifying God's grace, makes it clear that such a humble approach to God is exactly what God will use. Simon Peter represents all disciples. His humility and awareness of his sin do not qualify him from service. They're the prerequisite for service. The people that God can use the most are the ones that recognize the most that they need God and that whatever they do, it's not their own, it's not because of their own goodness, their own ability, their own, it's because of God being willing to use them and work in and through them. Okay. All right. So as we wrap this up, and this is one of those miraculous nights we're going to get done early unless the clock has stopped. No, it hasn't. Okay. We're actually going to get done early. Okay. As we close, ask ourselves, the first one we already asked, are you really committed to Jesus himself? If not, make a new commitment. Make a fresh commitment. Even if you're committed to church, make sure you're committed to Jesus, okay? Um, maybe you were more committed at one time than you are now. That's something to think about, maybe something to pray about. Are you committed to obedience in every area of your life? You know, have you surrendered your occupation, your family, your hobby, the things that are important to you? Are, where are they at in your priority system, okay? Are you committed to his plan, you know, which involves a lot of things, but reaching out to people around us, people he puts in our path that don't know Jesus, being willing to fish, okay? Because just like Jesus called Peter and his friends that day, he calls out to us today, too, for the same things. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word tonight, looking at Peter's call and his response Father, help us to apply what we've learned. Lord, I believe that if we've really been listening, not just to me and to other comments, but to you, that maybe you've nudged us, maybe you've talked to us, maybe you've convicted us, 
Um, but Lord, if you convicted us, it's not because you want us condemned, but because you want us to be encouraged. God, help us to really follow you. Whatever that might mean, Lord God, whatever changes that might bring. But Lord, help us to be committed to you first, above and beyond anything else. Help us to walk in obedience. Show us any area, show me any area of my life where I'm not pleasing you, Lord uh, God, so I can please you. And God, I pray that you'd help me to be more effective at, um, of reaching out to people for you, showing your love, speaking the words as you open doors and, and following your leading as you prompt me, Lord God, to share your love with others. And Lord, may we be a church full of people that that's our heart and that's our passion. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 